All right, so today we are wrapping up our conversation um, about the Imago Day. And so if you haven't joined us, you can always go back to, uh, you can look back on our YouTube channel, which you're on right now, or you can go back through our podcast or whatever, and you can listen through any of the weeks that you weren't a part of. But this is the sixth and final week of our discussion about the Imago Day, And we've started off our year just kind of having this conversation about what it means for us to be made in the image of God, what it means for us to see others as made in the image of God, and even what it means for us to have responsibilities and what we're called to do and be as those who are created in the image of God. And so our conversation today is going to be a little bit more on that topic. We're going to talk about the Missio Dei or the mission of God. And the mission of God is something that we've kind of circled around and had conversations about as we've gone through this topic. But we have to kind of focus in on here the last week of what does that mean and what does that look like? And it's a very specific mission that we've been handed uh, through the scriptures and through the life of Christ. And I'll warn you today, especially if you're following along at home, we're going to bounce around a little bit uh, here with scripture at the very beginning of our conversation. And then near the end, we will kind of focus in on one passage that we're going to really lean into for our understanding today. But um, the first passage I want to go to is just one verse, and it's John 14. In John, four, in John 14, verse 6, this is what it says. Jesus said, or just sorry, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so where I want to start today is that there is a singular mission that we've been given. There's a singular place we have to start. And this can be a little bit frustrating for us, I think, as people, especially Americans, because I think we like choices. I think when, at least for me, when I go to a restaurant and I get handed a nice big menu, I think that's fun. There's a lot of different things on there that I can get. I have a lot of different options that I can work through. It's not just one thing that I have to focus on or one style of food that I have to focus on. I get to choose. And even when we get into a situation maybe like today where the the weather's not great or there's traffic or whatever, we have the ability if we're driving to just grab our phone and we can put in the new coordinates of where we need to go, or we can look and see what the traffic's like. And automatically we've got an option to kind of get around the traffic. And so to have these options, to have these different pathways and different things, that's, that's attractive to us. We like being able to do that. But what scripture teaches is that there's only one way to God. And Jesus says that is only through him. And why is that the case? Well, that's the case because there's only one God. And so sometimes you might have a conversation with somebody and they might believe in multiple gods or they might believe in one God, but there's many ways to him. And that's just not what we see in scripture. What we see in scripture is that there's one God, that he has one creation. He created one creation. That's all we know of, right? We know of one galaxy, one of our solar system. There's many solar systems in the galaxy, but we are in one. There's only one planet Earth. There's only one human race. It's all we know of. And so there's only one of those. And so there's only one way. And the mission that we're talking about today is God's mission for bringing us back to him. So there's only one way to do that. And and his design is for the image bearer to follow that one way to him. And when that's not the case, when someone steps in and says, well, there's multiple ways that we can get to God, or there's multiple ways for me to make God happier. There's multiple ways for me to get to heaven. What it implies is that actually the image bearer is the one who's defining the way to get there and not the image giver. And so as we think about this idea of the, the missio day, the mission of God, we have to recognize that there is only 
one mission that we can follow. There's only one pathway. There's very specific instructions on how we fulfill this part of our being image bearers. And see, this was made from the beginning. And and I want to back up again. We're going to move to another passage really quickly. We're going to go to Genesis chapter one. And we talked about this passage. We talked about these two specific verses, I think in week one of our conversation and maybe other weeks as well. But in Genesis chapter one, I'm going to start in verse 27 and read to verse 28. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Verse 28. Then God blessed Bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and of all the animals that scurry along the ground. And so God wasn't just done when he created Adam and Eve. It wasn't that that was his plan, that there would just be two humans and that would be the two humans forever. In fact, he tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, create more humans. And we talked about this last week where God, when he looked at Adam and said, it is good that I made man. It wasn't just about Adam. It was about the human race. And so he says, fill the earth and and have dominion over it. And the goal in all of that, the, the plan was for humans to have that perfect relationship with God. But then Adam and Eve failed and it was changed. In Genesis three, we talked about this before. There was a change. There was a problem. And, you know, when we're thinking about this idea of mission, when I think of missions, I think of movies, right? And so maybe you've watched James Bond movies, or maybe you've watched other movies where there's a mission that has to be completed. One of the uh, movies that comes to my mind when I think of missions is Armageddon. It was a movie that was popular when I was high school, college. And so I kind of just enjoy that movie and it's, it's fun to watch. And it's one of those movies, like if you're looking around at what's on TV and I land on that, I'm probably going to stay on it for a while. And there was a mission in that, right? That not to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it, but there's an asteroid that's going to hit earth, right? There's a problem. And every time there's a mission, whether it's in a movie or a book or something like that, there's a problem that needs to be solved. And this is the problem. And so this is where the mission of God gets its origin is because there was a problem. There was sin that entered the world in Genesis chapter three. But see, the good thing was Adam wasn't the end game. It wasn't as though Adam sinned and Eve sinned and and God just kind of washed his hands of us and walked away. In fact, he made a new way for us. And so we're going to go to first Corinthians 15 and in first Corinthians 15 in verse 21, It says this, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, just as everyone dies because of all, because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Verse 23, but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So Adam failed, but Jesus set the reset, hit the reset button. And he came as the fulfillment, as the better image bearer, the full image bearer. He was fully God and fully man. And so he had to live the life that Adam was actually called to live in that perfection. And so Jesus did live that life and he created a new way. And what Paul says in this passage is that Every one of us would die because of what happened with Adam. But everyone now can live because of what Christ did for us. So he was known as the second 
Adam. This, he was the reset button. And the second Adam was successful. And Jesus came to set hit that reset button. He came to be the new beginning that we needed to have in order to be able to follow him, in order to be able to fully reflect him as image bearers of God. And then at the end of Jesus's life, after he's fulfilled what his purpose was meant to be, he gets ready to go back to heaven and he gives these instructions in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. It says, and Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we see this process kind of come full circle where the plan was in place from the beginning. It got changed. Adam and Eve failed, just like we would have failed. And so Jesus steps in and he moves us in the correct direction. And after he makes that fulfillment, he makes that possibility for everyone to enter into the kingdom of God. He hands over that mission to the disciples. And he says, now your job is to make disciples of all nations because of the work I've done. Now you have your new mission. And this is what it is to be that you would tell people about me, that you would go as image bearers to other image bearers and teach them how to better reflect me. And what we learn in this passage is that our God is a missionary God. And to be made in the image of God or the Imago Dei implies that we would be missionary people. Part of that full reflection of showing people what Jesus looked like, showing people the value that God has assigned to them means that we would go and tell them about Jesus. That's how we reflect God to them now with this new understanding of what the Imago Dei is. And so let's just recap that. That was a lot. That, that's a big theology lesson in that we because of sin, we're separated from God, right? And so Jesus came to make that separation different. We talked about before how the image of God, we had a veil over us as image bearers. We didn't look the way that we are supposed to. And so Jesus comes and he removes that veil and gives us the opportunity to look more like God, to reflect Jesus in the way that we live and to be image bearers that way. And we have the same mission now as disciples that we would take the word of God, we would take the gospel to people and help them understand who God says they are through the realization of what the gospel is and who Jesus is. And so I want to go, all right, we're done jumping around except for one more passage, okay? And there's one passage I want to talk about today that I think really drives this idea home. And it actually, I think, encapsulates a lot of what we've talked about over the course of the Imago Day. And that passage is John chapter 4. And we're going to actually read a good chunk of John chapter 4 today. We'll stop at a couple of places and kind of think about what it actually means and and how we put this into practice. But in John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 5. And this is a story that you may have heard before. Um, I think I mentioned it in our conversation last week, actually, as we were walking through it. And so in John chapter 4, starting in verse 5, this is what it says. Eventually... He came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now let's pause here, and I just want us to not 
lose exactly what's going on with Jesus right now. He's walked a long way. He's walked a long way on a dirt road. He's walked a long way on a dirt road in 2000 year old sandals that probably don't do very much for your arch support. Okay. He's tired. It says he sat down at this well wearily and says it's about noontime. So it's like the hottest time of the day. One of the hottest times of the day. He's been walking a long way already, dirt roads, not great shoes. And, and he's just tired and thirsty, probably hungry. How would you feel at this point? What would be your demeanor? I, I think I've gotten to this place before at different times, at different vacations and different youth events. And I remember there was one youth event and we, we were at Momentum one year and we were supposed to go into the city to be able to do our job there. We were going to reach out to some people. We're going to help with some VBS type stuff. And we walk out of the session to get on the bus and go to into Indianapolis, which is about an hour drive. And our bus driver's there and he's got the back of the bus open. His sleeves are rolled up and he looks completely distraught. And so at this moment, I realized uh, there's a problem. We're probably not going to make it to Indianapolis. So I talked to him. He says, I'm on the phone. He says, I just don't know what I'm going to be able to do. It's going to be a few hours. So at that point, our plan is kind of out the window. We don't know exactly what we're going to do, but there's another bus. And so there's, I, I get in touch with some people that are in charge at momentum and say, Hey, we don't have a thing to do right now. Is there any way you can help us get to another place? And they say, you know what? We just had a project come up in the last week. We've got bus fulls of people going, we're going to send you there. So I say, great. That's what we'll do. The problem was we, uh, we get on the bus and we get there and that's all fine. But when we get there, it's it's about 100 kids. We didn't have 100. We had a decent chunk, but there was already about 100 there. So we probably pushed it to about 130, 140, something like that. And it was literally just tearing down a barn. The problem was once the barn was torn down, there was very little shade. And this was one of the hottest days of the summer. I think it was in the 90s and the heat index was above 100. And so we literally had kids like just sweating their brains out, like almost passing out. We were trying to get them water. We had some that needed medical like medical attention from the staff that were there at Momentum. And it was just terrible. And I remember that being the hottest day. We were so tired from working and so frustrated. And it was, it was easy for us to get frustrated at one another. It was easy for us to look at one another and just say, leave me alone. Don't touch me. Don't be near me. Just give me space. I just need to find some sort of shade, some sort of water. Maybe you've been in that situation. You've been in a spot like that. And that's kind of where Jesus is. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's worn out. I just want us to kind of recognize that that's the state that he's in before he has the interaction he's about to have. Going on in verse 7 of John 4, it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Let's time out one more time. Remember we talked about this last week where the differences between people, the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles in the early church really drove a wedge between them. And this is just another layer to that. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. And the reason was because the Jews saw the Samaritans because they were part Jew, part Gentile. They saw them as not good enough, and so they would put them down. They didn't like them. And so normally what would happen probably in this situation was either 
if there was a you know there's a woman coming to well, there's a Jewish man, he's probably going to get up and walk away, or he's going to ignore the fact that she even exists. And so when he says something to her and talks to her, she's completely surprised. So Jesus answered her, "If only you knew the gift God has for you, and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water." Verse eleven. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket," she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It, be, it becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I have no husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while the Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Verse 21, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. So let's just kind of get the lay of the land here. Jesus starts talking to her about this living water and she gets really excited. And Jesus shows her that he knows her, even though he's never met her. And she realizes there's something different about him. So she starts asking questions about worship and about the differences between Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus says, it's going to come really soon that you're not going to have to worry about where you worship. No matter where you worship, you will be able to worship God. And again, we talked about this last week. We talked about how Jesus has now established the kingdom that everyone is welcome to be a part of. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile anymore. And so that's what Jesus focuses in on. And so let's jump down to verse uh, 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming and the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So he alluded to it, right? He says, I, I know your past. I know what's going on in your life. And she thinks, oh, he's a prophet. And then he says, I'm the Messiah. And she, we're not going to read the rest of this part. We're going to jump down a little bit further, but she kind of loses it and starts kind of fangirling at that moment. She, she runs down into town and she tells everybody what's going on. And at this point, the disciples come back and they kind of look at Jesus funny. They go, why, why are you talking to this woman? Why is this the interaction you're having? Right? Again, Jew, Samaritan, not a normal thing for them to interact. But Jesus tells them in verse 34, it says, Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and the other harvests. And it is true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans came from the village 
and believed in Jesus because of because of what the woman said. Oh, sorry, because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard from him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. So what I want us to see from this passage is that Jesus was willing to reach this woman no matter what. It didn't matter their differences. It didn't matter what, how he felt that day. And what he ended up doing was reaching the town because he was willing to reach one person. So as we glean different things from this passage, the first thing I want us to understand is that we need to be present in places where people need to meet Jesus. We have to be present in places where people need to meet Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I think it's easy. It's, it's certainly easy for me. It was definitely easy for me growing up to spend most of my time at Christian school and at church. And when that was true, I, I rarely talked to or interacted with many people who weren't followers of Jesus, or at least didn't weren't church people. It was very easy for me to stay in that space. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing and, and it's not bad to go to Christian school. My kids might go to Christian school one day, who knows? But the point being, there was a time in life where I was almost always with people who claim to know Jesus, or at least we're in church on a regular basis. And and what I want to challenge us to do is, is we need to create avenues and be present in places where people don't know Jesus. We have to put ourselves in places on purpose where there are people who aren't exactly like us. And for me as a kid that was playing hockey, I, I ended up playing hockey. Um, I mean, I played from when I was eight, but I played for Coatesville specifically in middle school and high school. And so that gave me an outlet to be able to be with guys who didn't know Jesus. And I, and I just kind of built those friendships and I still have some of those friendships to this day. And I still leverage that. I still have friends that I play hockey with and they don't know Jesus. And I purposely make myself available to them. They know I'm a pastor. They know what I believe. And I've made myself available to them as their pastor, even though they don't go to church usually just to build those relationships. And the interesting thing about this story is I didn't mention it before, but Usually, Jews didn't travel through Samaria. Usually, they would go right around it and not have to pass through it. So they didn't have to bother interacting with Samaritan people. So they didn't come to a well and there would be a Samaritan woman there. But Jesus and his disciples purposefully went through Samaria because Jesus knew that this woman would be there. And so we have to, on purpose, find places where we're going to be present and help people meet Jesus. Maybe that's your school. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's the gym or the YMCA or the league you play in or whatever that means. But we have to be intentional about that because I think if we aren't intentional about that, if we're not spending time intentionally with people who don't know Jesus, we can't fulfill the mission of God. We can't make disciples of all nations. We can't build relationships with people who don't know Jesus if we're not purposefully around them on a regular basis. So the first challenge is this, are you building those relationships? Is that a regular part of who you are or what you're doing? And if not, how can you create those relationships moving forward? Another thing is this, when, when the image bearer truly sees themselves through the eyes of the image giver, I think it changes everything. 
You know, one of the things that really stood out to me as I studied this passage again was that the woman got so excited about the fact that Jesus knew everything about her. And when she ran into town, that was what she told the people in town. She said, this is somebody who knows me. And he also valued me enough to have a conversation with me. I think our goal as we reflect Jesus to other people and we are a part of this mission is to show them who God says they are, to help them see how much God loves them, even though he knows their past. And remember this woman, not only was she a Samaritan and Jesus was a Jew, but she was coming to the well in the middle of the day because the rest of the people in her town wanted nothing to do with her. They didn't want to be around her. They knew she had a bad reputation. I mean, she had relationships with five different guys at this point, right? And living with someone who's not her husband. And so her reputation was not good. That's why she was coming to the well by herself. And yet Jesus as a Jew, Jesus as a person who knew her past, was willing to have that conversation with her and be an advocate for her. In the end, what ends up happening is that she gets to be the one who tells the town about Jesus. She gets to be part of the mission of God to them. He gives her value. Why? Because her value is not defined by her. Her value is defined by God as the creator and what he says she is worth. And when she saw that, even though she had messed up, it changed her life. Jesus might have been the first person in a very long time to show her how valuable she was and how much dignity he could hand to her in that moment. And so our job is to help people see how God sees them, help them see that no matter their past, no matter the choices they've made or not made, it doesn't devalue them as image bearers. And God still loves them wholly and completely. When they recognize that, it will change the way they see even themselves. The last thing is this. We will not be effective missionaries until God's image matters more to us than our own. Let me say that again. We will not be effective missionaries until God's image matters more to us than our own. What do I mean by that? You know, I've had a lot of conversations with teenagers over the years about what it means to share their faith. And... When you have a conversation with a teenager about sharing their faith, they're pretty honest about why they don't or why they don't want to. Sometimes we as adults have uh, kind of packaged conversations or packaged answers as to why we don't share our faith. Teens are pretty honest with you. And as I've had conversations with teenager students over the years, one of the things that oh, it usually comes back to is I, I don't, I don't want to alienate my friends. I, I don't want to put them in a weird spot. I don't want to tell somebody they're wrong. I don't want to be the person who then gets alienated out of my friend group because I try to do something like this. I, I don't want to be the one who's excluded because I told somebody they're not good enough or because I'm the one who's not looked at as telling someone that there's something wrong with them because I'm trying to share Jesus with them. And I think their honest answers in that are really the answers that many of us give we worry about sharing Jesus with other people because we worry about the image that we've created for ourselves, right? We worry about what other people are going to think, what other people are going to say, what other people are. And for students today, it's like, what are other people going to post online about me? These are real things that cause us real fear, cause us real worry, and they're not fun to go through. But in 
But the real reality that we have to understand is that what needs to be more important to us is God's image and the way we reflect God's image to others and not the one that we are creating for ourselves. Too often that's the one that I get worried about, the image I'm creating for myself. But I need to be sure that I'm reflecting God and not me. And when I do that, the mission I will fulfill is the mission that Jesus has given each of us as followers of Jesus. So as we wrap up this conversation of the Imago Day, how do we kind of package this up and say, all right, this, this we talked about a lot and we need to be able to kind of put this in our minds, our hearts at the front so that we can every day, we can kind of work this out and be focused on what this means for us on a day-to-day basis. And so I, I just said three things. First of all, be present. Be present with the people who need to know Jesus. Be present with those who aren't already followers of Jesus. Be present with people who are different than us. Be present with people who are from different backgrounds and from different places. Why? So that then we can reach those people. And if you're watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that you feel like there are followers of Jesus in your life who are wanting to value you, who want to show you the value that God has attributed to you and not the value that somebody else has maybe given to you. We want to love people the way that Jesus loved them. And in order to do that, we have to be present with them. So if we're going to value people, we have to be present with them. The second thing is simply reflect Jesus. That should be our goal every day. Every interaction we have, every time we talk to somebody, every time we have a conversation, every time we interact online, every time we send a text message, we should reflect Jesus to that person. And if when they leave the conversation with us, they leave their interaction with us, they feel any less than when they came in, we have failed. Because one of the things that Christ followers should do is always show people how valuable they are to God and treat them as image bearers because they're valuable to God, not based on what they've done or the choices they made or, or what their background is. And the last thing is to be part of the restoration. I've brought this up a couple times, but it's easy to know this. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm made in the image of God or they're made in the image of God. I'm supposed to treat them that way. It's easy for us to say that and to have like the head knowledge of it. It's another thing to always live it out. And when we have this head knowledge and we decide to live another way, anyway, the problem is that we've devastated them. We've torn them down. We've taken the image of God, the image of bearer of God, and we've devalued it. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to restore the image of God and others and cause them to see themselves the way God sees them. You know, I think about this year and I really love this word restore, this idea of restoration. It may be something that comes up over the course of our year, because even if you think about where we find ourselves, 2020 was the year we were supposed to throw away. 2021 is supposed to be better. It's supposed to be a year of restoration. It's supposed to be a year of getting healthier. It's supposed to be a year of moving away from a pandemic and seeing some of our systems and things like that. Our, our lives get back to the way we wanted them to be in 2020, and they just couldn't be that way. And yes, I want that to be true. Yes, I want us to be able to do church with no masks, and I want us to be able to do church and be able to sit next to each other and not care. I want us to be able to shake hands and, and all of those things that we were able to do and offer coffee <laughs> in the lobby, right? But one of the bigger things I hope that will be a restoration idea on our minds is restoring 
the value of other people the way that God has seen them. Because I think 2020 was also a year of let's tear people down. I think that's not what we're called to be and do. And I think central to lifting people up and to valuing people is sharing the gospel with them. Remember, there's one way. There's one way to God. And we've been given the roadmap. And so we have to share that with other people. We have to be the evidence of that in other people's lives. And by doing so, we will help them see who God is. We will help them see what Jesus did for them and how much he loved them. And how even though they've messed up, even though we've messed up, Jesus still loves us. And that there's a way to God to restore the relationship that was lost. And that when they start a relationship with God, when we introduce them to Jesus, it will change their lives. So the challenge for us as we wrap our time today is to be present in somebody's life and to see them come to know Jesus. And maybe there's one person, one person in your mind or that you've been interacting with or that you can think of that you know needs to meet Jesus. And what would it mean for you to live in a way that their image of themselves or the image of God in them would be restored. And you are intentional about restoring that idea in them and reflecting Jesus to them over the course of this year. And you live intentionally that way. I hope that that is a goal that we have this year. And then at the end of 2021, we would be able to name the people that we decided to treat this way, that we decided to be present with, we decided to reflect Jesus too. And there are tangible people who come to know Jesus because of it. And that should be our goal this year as we fulfill the mission of God, that we would see people come to know Jesus in 2021. Let me pray for us before we wrap up today. Lord, we thank you for this mission that you've given us. We, we know that it can be difficult, and it's not always the culturally accepted thing to say that there is one way to God. It's much easier to try and say there are many ways to God and I get to define that and I get to figure that out, but that's just not the case. But we thank you for the clarity that you give us in that and and that we understand the only way is through Jesus. And so we get to be the people who reflect Jesus to others and invite them to follow him. We pray that we would be a church that is willing to fulfill the mission of God, even on days when we're hot and tired and thirsty and just not in a good place, that we would interact with people who aren't like us and we have every reason not to interact with them like Jesus had every reason not to interact with the Samaritan woman, that we would put those reasons aside and we would say, you know what, I'm going to give that person value and I'm going to treat them the way God has called me to treat them and share the gospel with them. I pray that that would be the mission of our church and that at the end of this year, we would see people come to know Jesus because we purposefully invested in them and were present in their lives and reflected you to them. We pray that we would do that individually. We would encourage each other to do it corporately and that we would see fruit just like Jesus talked about, that we would reap that harvest and we would see people that decide to follow you this year because of these efforts. In Jesus' name, amen.